when people start, whatever word you want to use, deconstructing or doubting or despairing, or for some, it's sort of like they're losing faith uh, or they're abandoning their tradition or they're running away from the truth. When the reality is, is they might just be falling into the arms of God. Soul Care Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Gotthardt, and I'm part of the Wellspring team. At Wellspring and Soul Care, we deeply desire to see pastors, leaders, really everyone actually lead and serve God and other people out of a well-tended inner life. Because the pressures and challenges of life are so enormous these days, we know that people need companions to walk alongside, to help them attend to their inner world, and to walk with Jesus in a way that is sustainable and also intentional and to live in a way that is a flourishing pathway. So on our podcast, we talk to different pastors, authors, and faith leaders and others about their journey and how about what it looks like to live and serve God and others in the ways of Jesus. Those are great conversations and today's is no exception. Today we get to talk to Chuck DeGroat. We've talked to him before about his book, When Narcissism Comes to Church, and that's been such a helpful resource. If you haven't already checked it out, please do so. But today we talked to him about a recent project he did. It's a video movie called Wild Country of the Heart. It engages with Teresa of Avila's interior castle. And as Chuck talks about wanting to bring both beauty and wisdom from this remarkable person who lived a long time ago and yet whose insights whose guidance is as relevant and significant as ever. It's an important and significant work, but it's also a great conversation we get to have with Chuck and to talk about this beautiful work that he's done. So enjoy our conversation with Chuck DeGroote. Chuck, it is good as always to see you, uh, at least on in this medium, and to get to talk a little bit. So thanks for making some time to to be with us again today. Yeah, it's good to be with you. It's always good to, uh, Richard and I chat a lot offline, but then we have these fun conversations online. So it's it's good. It is good. It's good. It's always an excuse. I, I, I should just, we should just schedule a podcast interview every month, I think. Um <laughs> Well, Chuck, uh, some people may be familiar, some may not, but that you recently put out a movie, which I love. I love movies anyway, mm-hmm. but you made a movie with a with a friend. I'm sure you'll talk about that project a little bit, but it's called uh, Wild Country of the Heart. But first, um, and, and, and we'll, we'll link to where people can find it and access it and all of that in our in the notes, but but first, just um, if you could just tell us what uh, what is this movie and what prompted you to make it? Yeah, so uh, yeah, Wild Country of the Heart. I have been for years um, enamored with this 16th century saint and reformer named Saint Teresa of Avila, and uh, I discovered her in all places uh, in a, in a class with a reform theologian named Alistair McGrath, and. I was 27 years old and I thought he was a heretic for, you know, for talking about Catholic saints and, and stuff like that. But uh, he, he seemed uh, uh, 
to to find St. Teresa and St. John of the Cross and some of these other names, Hildegard of Bingen, Teresa of Lisieux, really helpful in his spiritual life. And so I was 27 and I began my journey uh, into contemplative literature, uh, devotional literature, and, and really found this this woman, St. Teresa, very compelling. You know, when we talk about 16th century reformers, we often talk about Calvin and Luther. Uh, we don't think about a woman, you know, a thousand miles south in Spain. But so, okay, that's where it began years and years ago. But more recently, um, I, uh, as you know, I wrote this book, When Narcissism Comes to Church. And the, yeah. the thing yeah. I told you before this is I don't want to talk about narcissism. <laughs> we're, we're not, but uh, it was a... It has been a hard conversation for the church, for people in the church. It feels like I've heard people say, um, why did why did you want to contribute to the downfall of the church, the reckoning of the church, really sort of um, dark takes on it. And um, this this was really, for me, a commitment to um, beauty and hope and goodness and the things I think the things of um, blossoming and resurrection um, and renewal and reconstruction that I'm hopeful for that, you know, the conversation isn't merely about deconstruction, disorientation, pain, despair, reckoning, all these you know, <laughs> words people are using to describe the state of the church today, but that there are possibilities of, of uh, renewal. And so this is really a, a film, and I can say more about it, but it's really a film that offers um, uh, hope and beauty uh, th- through the lens of St. Teresa's interior castle, which is a journey to the very center of our being where, where Jesus dwells. Mm-hmm. So it's really a journey, a journey to the depths of our own heart and the depths of the heart of God. Yeah. Well, I will comment just for a moment. We're not going to talk about narcissism, I promise. Uh, <laughs> but I will say we, we have talked about that. And then you can look back on an earlier podcast that Chuck yeah. uh, did with us and, and, and do recommend that book. And I would just say in, um, in defense of, of, yeah. of that in the sense that, that yes, that is, there, there is darkness that needs to be brought into the light. There is pain and, um, we can call it misbehavior, but also just un, unhealth. And mm. and I, in my understanding, at least you can't really begin to address unhealth and move towards health until you name the the brokenness and name the darkness. And so, so I would just say, Chuck, as as one who um, you know works with a lot of church leaders, yeah. as our organization does, that your your work on that is actually a gift to the church. It's a, your prophetic voice that is actually trying to, and I believe is speaking life and hope and pointing us towards goodness. But I, at the same time, I could also understand the weariness in talking about yeah. stories and narratives and experiences that are, that yeah. are frankly distressing and discouraging yeah. and dismaying. And so, yeah. so I'm excited with you <laughs> to talk about, <laughs> this, uh, this yeah. journey. So, um, tell us a little bit though about, let's just talk about the movie itself because you, you yeah. didn't just, yeah. you know, write a book and you didn't just, um, put out a podcast as, as good as both of those things are. Um, what, what made you want to do a movie? Yeah, I started writing a book and it, it just didn't suffice, right? Black and white words on, on a page just didn't suffice. I needed, I feel felt like I needed to tell this story in color. Mm. Um, 
with music and, and beauty and um, imagery. And, and I had a, a friend who uh, is a really beautiful, creative soul, uh, came alongside me in this and, and had the vision that I didn't have to, to, uh, to uh, he's a videographer, he's a musician, he wrote original music, he, he took my words and he, uh, he, he found imagery to sort of connect it all together. Um, and, and so it's an hour and 10 minute film um, that takes you through the seven mansions of the interior castle there. So, so there's this book that the, the uh, most famous book that St. Teresa ever wrote, The Interior Castle. Um, there are multiple translations out there. It's ex- accessible to everyone, but it's really a journey um, through the seasons of our spiritual lives. And that feels really appropriate, really applicable right now. Um, and, and what she does at, which I think is really fascinating. And she's doing this before developmental psychology. She's doing it before spiritual conversations around the different stages of the spiritual life. She's, she's naming um, different aspects of our journey in a way that helps us make sense of the progression of it. Um, And the, the seven, the seven sort of distinct segments of the film walk you through these, these seven particular aspects of the spiritual journey. And um, what I love about that is that it begins in where we all begin with a kind of childlike curiosity um, that grows into a growing sort of commitment to learn, to study, to grow in our faith, um, but which eventually becomes a a form of control where um, our spiritual journey becomes a means to uh, uh, toward a kind of tribalism, right? Uh, Who's in and who's out? Um, My denomination knows better than your denomination. My theology is better than your theology. And, and she sees that as a very necessary part of the journey. There's a sense in which we learn and we grow and we, we kind of think we've got it figured out. And I, at least that made sense of my journey. I don't know about Mm -hmm. your journey. Mm -hmm. For sure. But she says, you know, so, so people get freaked out when we talk about deconstruction nowadays, but it's built in, it's like baked into some of these old texts. And that she talks about this next journey where there is this kind of deconstruction that, that happens, this disorientation that happens to us, a kind of crisis of faith. But in the midst of that, we realize that we've been, been building, um, we've sort of been building our own tower. You know, we've been building our sort of constructing a theology, this edifice that we thought would be solid and, and um, would keep us going. And, and, and we've traded it for God. And she says, you know, we, we wake up to the reality that this theology that we built, these structures that we built, um, are in no way reflective of the depths of God. And we've got to rediscover God in a new way. Mm. And so for the rest of the, uh, the, the, the dwellings of her interior castle, she takes us on that journey into depth and intimacy and beauty and God. But there's some deconstructing that has to happen as some of the old ways that we've held faith, some of our old structures for faith and belief systems, some of them have to be, have to be dealt with, right? And some of them may have to die along the way. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's, uh, well, first let me just comment about the movie itself um, as one who has uh, watched it and, um, mm. and, and seen it, actually a couple different passes through it. And one, I just want to say it is, um, it's beautiful, beautifully shot and, um, and the music is very inviting and, and fit so well, but, but, but how you guide us through um, this material, if you will, or the this this journey that Teresa uh, laid out centuries ago, 
is is so um it is inviting it is welcoming i think i think chuck and i wanted to speak to you about this and get your thoughts on it because i i know for for me and for many in um uh, american or western context we're so prone to think of it of life as an achievement as you know how do i how do i uh, move up into the right or whatever you know uh metaphor you want to use but how do, how does one because if, if someone says oh there's these these stages or these movements yeah. of progression yeah. how do we avoid going at that as if uh, oh okay how do i achieve the next stage how do yeah. i get to the next level yeah i mean for her stages and yeah that's not the right language that's uh you know it's more like seasons of a spiritual journey mm -hmm. but it looks a little bit more like a game of shoots and ladders because you know, you think you've gotten, you know, you're in the third dwelling of her interior castle and you think you figured it out and you've got your, you've, your T's crossed and your I's dotted. You got your theology and your small group and your church and your pastor and everything, you know, and then the cancer diagnosis comes along mm -hmm. uh, or, or you begin to ask hard questions about certain things you're reading in scripture and how they, um, whether or not they make sense or you start to wrestle with some of our cultural moment, right? And, mm -hmm. and how... Uh, people who call themselves people of faith act in the public arena and, and you scratch your head and she creates space for that and room for that. And I guess, you know, that's the shoot, you know, that's the, yeah. oh, wow, where, where am I going? It feels like I'm falling. Right. Mm. Um, but, but in a, in a strange sense, you're held by God in that space. You're held more by God in that space because mm. before you really thought you were in control, you'd sort of propped up. Uh, the ladder in your own strength, but mm -hmm. now you you're just falling into the arms of God, and and she would actually say that you dis discover God more in in the falling, in the failing, in the struggle than than you ever did when you thought you had it figured out, and that would certainly make sense of my my life, and I as I know you, some of your life too, mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. uh, there are probably uh, times when you and I thought, yeah, I, I've pretty well mastered, you know. I, <laughs> Master of Divinity program. I have a Master of Divinity. And I always joke with students that, you know, we, in some ways, we really think that we've mastered divinity, right? Yeah. And what, what a How joke. Absurd. Yeah, <laughs> absurd. <laughs> That's so true, Chuck. Because, in fact, I, I think I so much relate to that, that, that reality uh, that happens uh, to us without maybe even realizing it is that we, we build these theological constructs, you know, uh, uh, maybe in a way saying it is, you know, when my ideas or understanding of God is actually uh, more important to me than God himself, you know, yeah. or, or uh, I think it was Flannery O'Connor who said a God that you can fully get your uh, mind around that you fully, yeah. you fully figured out, so to speak, would have to be smaller than you. Yeah. And I think that we, you know, and yet I understand also how f sort of alarming or frightening that is when when people start saying things like oh, some of the ideas or or ways that I held certain ideas about who mm -hmm. God is and what God's like are yeah. are I'm, I'm, I'm wondering about them. And then we yeah. think, oh, no, you know, a descent into heresy yeah. or abandoning yeah. the faith. And yet it actually can often be an invitation towards something much larger yeah. and more beautiful, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, you're a spiritual director. I am too. I'm a therapist. And I think, you know, what we find, and we were both pastors too, we find that we sit with people who are navigating really dark valleys of their mm -hmm. lives. And, and um, 
I don't know about you, but my answers, my advice isn't very good. My answers aren't very helpful to people in dark valleys. Oftentimes yes. it's my silence, my presence, mm. uh, just being alongside, being with another in that space, you know, and holding space. And I, I think that's tough for people. I think when, mm. when people start, whatever word you want to use, deconstructing or doubting or despairing or, uh, yeah, I think for some, it's sort of like they're losing faith uh, or they're abandoning their tradition or they're running away from the truth. When the reality is, is they might just be falling into the arms of God. Mm. That's so that's a great statement a falling into as opposed to an abandoning or yeah. or, or 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 kind of getting in touch with a, an awareness of, of greater mystery that God yeah. doesn't just act in 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 ways that are entirely predictable and understandable to me. Yeah. And yeah. that might be troubling, but it may be an invitation to something deeper. Yeah. And, and yeah. or I, I think you, you and I have both seen this too with people. Sometimes we just, mm -hmm. we want to double down, almost go backwards into hardened certainty. And mm -hmm. I, you know, with, with my, this is the way it is and the way it must be. And that can be actually often, a, it seems like even a move backwards sometimes for people. Yeah. Yeah. Th that's where her interior castle makes so much sense out of my life, your life, our lives. Um, and it's, again, it's written before any kind of uh, developmental psychology or spirituality or any of that. But, but what you're saying is what we've learned that we regress at times and we can, we can re regress to earlier stages of our life. It's sort of like, I always use the example of uh, like the 45 year old who came to see me for counseling and he was wearing a football Jersey. And um, I said, tell me about your Jersey. And he was like, I was, you know, I was the, I was the captain of the football team. I was the quarterback and I was this, and I was, you know, all this stuff. And, you know, he had, uh, but he had, Back, back in the day, he was probably about 150 pounds, but he had come into my office at about 270 pounds oh, and tired wow. in shame, a lot of pain around his weight, his marriage had ended. And it was sort of like he was, you know, he's wearing his football jersey. He was, wow. you know, there's a part of him that just wanted to go back. And when I asked him about it, man, the tears started to come. But mm. I do think that we try to go back to earlier stages of faith. Like it felt like back then I knew what I was doing. I was secure. I had it together. You know, the church was right and the pastor was right and I was right. And when um, what God is inviting us, as you say, into mystery and into the through the wilderness, so to speak, as, as is the case in Scripture, right? There's the journey cannot avoid a wilderness. It's interesting, Chuck, because I I just even seen the themes in some of your work and writing. What I think was was your first book is was on uh, leaving Egypt, leaving Egypt, finding God yeah. in the wilderness places. Yeah, yeah. And then your Lenten devotional, which you wrote, and I <laughs> yeah. recommend uh, both of these highly, as well as it's your book coming together. <laughs> yeah, I mean wholeheartedness and and your Lenten devotional, falling into goodness. I mean, I mean, for you, yeah, that seems like there has been this theme in your yeah. in your journey. Is that right? Well, in the narcissism book is in a sense um, how not to do it, or this maybe more mm. like this is inevitably the place where we go. You know, sort of the egocentric journey. What mm. uh, what's sort of equated with the third dwelling of her interior castle? 
um, that I talk about in the film where we, we pretend that we have control. We pretend that we figured it out. And I, yeah, I think there is a kind of thematic resonance in, in my writings over the years. And that's, I think, you know, all writing is probably at some level autobiographical, right? And we're all mm-hmm. wrestling. And I, I've told people, I couldn't have written a book on narcissism even without um, having wrestled with my own egocentricity and narcissism. I'm not diagnosably narcissistic, but I have narcissistic or histrionic tendencies, um, as most pastors do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And and um, and so there's a this reckoning right with w- ways of um, of engaging God through what I know through my head, how I can control God. Uh, how I can fix people, how I can figure things out rather than in and through the wilderness and into the mystery, into the, what John of the Cross calls the dark night of the soul. And so, yeah, in a way, this this movie is kind of a culmination of all of those things, but um, in a way that tells a kind of coherent story and invites people. Like the, the movie is very invitational. I, I hope you'd agree with this in the sense that it's inviting people to explore where they are on their spiritual journey. And there's like a companion study guide that actually invites people into this with questions so that you can really ask like, where am I on my spiritual journey and how does God want me to grow? Exactly. And in fact, I would just, um, yeah, just to, to say a little more about the movie itself. And I think you've recommended this and I think it's a, it's a great way to, to approach it is to one is to just watch the movie. I mean, it's an hour, you know, that's what, two Netflix, uh, you know, shows for you or one and, yeah. uh, but watch it at one viewing and then get the companion guide that you've created, which is wonderful. I've, um, downloaded both and I highly recommend, but, uh, two that has, um, you can get not only the script because, because you're writing, there's there, uh, I'm sorry, your, your narration is is really great writing i would say as well mm-hmm. it's um it's inviting and and there's words and phrases you, i think people might want to linger on mm-hmm. but then there's there are questions reflection questions that you can take it kind of um dwelling by dwelling so to speak and i and that's i think a great way to unpack it is so to let to make space to reflect mm-hmm. because i i do want to pivot because we've talked a bit about that we we all will if we continue to follow God deeply, we all will come to these places uh, of this place of, of certainty, of control or attempt at control of those things. And then, and we'll either kind of find that that doesn't work and, mm-hmm. and that begins to unravel or we'll kind of pivot back, regress backwards and get yeah. stuck there. But, if, but on the other side, because all the talk of deconstruction and, yeah. and all that, that there is something, there certainly can be something really really beautiful and powerful on the other side. So let's talk to what's on the other side. Yeah. So she, what I love about Teresa is that um, she uses beautiful metaphors and um, you know, this, this season of, of uh, disorientation and despair and doubt, she says, you know, it's like we built this aqueduct system, um, but it's, it's just not able to kind of hold water anymore, you know, mm. and it's beginning to crumble and fall. But what we discover is that we never needed an aqueduct system um, to, to get what we thought we needed. Uh, we simply needed to realize that God dwells as a spring within us mm. um, always. And so there's this beautiful sense that uh, why did you need to build this big thing to get the water you th- thought you needed when God was at the very center is the spring that springs eternal, so to speak, right? So and then she switches metaphors the very next uh, dwelling of the interior castle to 
the metaphor of a butterfly. And as if to say, we start out like this caterpillar crawling along the ground, eating and devouring, because that's what we know. That's what science has even taught us about caterpillars is that their main purpose is to eat. <laughs> so <laughs> they're consumers, you know, like young Christians, you know, mm-hmm. we, consume, we consume, eat, eat, eat. Um, all, all of it, though, in service of, of building us up to this place where uh, within there is this imaginal cell, um, this single cell that, that awakens us to a different reality and actually offers a different vision of, of a, a future in our life. And this imaginal cell begins to multiply within us, uh, with, within us, within the caterpillar, right? The metaphor mm-hmm. is about mm-hmm. us, right? And, and, um, and, and, and she doesn't know anything, by the way, about uh, imaginal cells. I'm, I'm offering the science behind it now, but what we now know is that there's this kind of metamorphosis that happens, this transformation that happens, and these imaginal cells um, are really instrumental in this caterpillar spinning, um, spinning the cocoon that will, in a sense, be its tomb, you know, because the mm. cat- caterpillar will die so that the butterfly can live, right? So there's this death to resurrection product process that she notices as she's walking along the Rio Adajo and, you know, the sort of the valleys and the hills of, of um, uh, Spain. And, uh, you know, she looks at the caterpillar, she looks at the butterfly and she says, this is the spiritual journey we all go on and it requires a death. And and that death, um, she must have observed is, is uh scary and uncertain, you know, just as ours is, but it, it does amount to new life. It does amount to transformation. And that's why I think probably you and I being longtime pastors, there is a sense when we see people interrupt that journey, right. To say, Oh no, 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 I don't want to do that. Or that's just deconstruction. Or, mm-hmm. um, we've probably witnessed hopefully in our own lives, but in other people's lives, such beauty as people, uh, fall into this death to resurrection process. Yeah, that's so true. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I makes me think about this. A number of years ago, my son, uh, Cade, was given by, I, I don't know, I think it doesn't matter, was given a gift of when he was a little boy of these caterpillars that were already, actually, the cocoon was already formed. It was this little container, and they were already in the cocoon. And, and, it, and at first, it looks like a really terrible gift to give a child, right? You know, you're giving a kid a couple of dead things hanging on a twig. And, um, and you're thinking, but this is the promise that's happening. And so this little container sat on his dresser for, I don't know, I, I felt like a couple of months. I don't know. It was a long time mm-hmm. where, where, and I think there's not only to what looks like death, but it also looks externally like nothing is happening for a really long time. Yes. Yeah. Right. And I think that can be such a hard part begin where we're so used to things happening quickly and we want to microwave our spirituality and how do we accelerate it and to get to the next thing. And yet, yeah. and yet that finally did happen. Right. I mean, thankfully, I think it was going to be a, this is going to be a difficult <laughs> birthday gift or him. If, yeah. And then six months later, they're still dead, but no, they finally, you know, they did emerge and yeah. got to release them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, what a beautiful yeah. image. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And you said it um, so well. And I think that, you know, if if you're a pastor listening, for instance, you've surely seen people in your congregation sat with people where it just feels like, ah, the the grieving is going on for so long. Or, yeah, I know she's been through some trauma, but ah, does it does it have to be like this? Does it have to come with such suffering and such lament? And, you know, 
I, I do think we try to microwave people's spiritual journeys. You know, um, that first book that I wrote, I, I, I talked about in one of the chapters, Kleenex Theology, where we so quickly hand over a tissue and ask people to kind of get over it, um, mm. clean yourself up, rather than allowing them to, to go through the steps, the necessary steps, the necessary unfolding, the necessary dying um, that happens in, in grief, despair, lament, doubt, all these things, right? And all this, I mean, I think if you, I think if you do this for a while, and both of us have done it for a while, you sort of you realize that oh, this is this isn't just like one or two people in my congregation. All of us mm. need to go on this journey, yeah. uh, and it's gonna it's gonna look different for everyone. Um, and some of us are gonna resist it. Some of us will double down and say no, 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 no. I'm not gonna, I'm I'm not gonna let my life become in any way unmanageable. You know, I'm not entertain <laughs> doubts. And, um, and in some ways, um, uh, you know, those of us who do that, we never really grow up. Yeah, that's true. If, yeah. if you can reduce your, your whole Christian life. And I mean, uh, uh, for many, and I'm not trying to say this in a, to be critical, yeah. uh, negatively, but just if, if it's, if it's, um, you know, if it all comes down to God said it, I believe it, that settles it, yeah. which again, I, I appreciate and and the, and love the sentiment underneath that, the desire to have a deep, a really deeply rooted confidence in God, which I do have. But if you're not willing to enter into the valley that the Psalms describe over and yeah. over again, or even Jesus' own, dis, you know, um, description of his own agony, um, yeah. then then you really are limiting. So, yeah. so progressing, we've kind of, as we move into these further or deeper dwellings, what, what could we expect according to Teresa? Yeah, well, so I, I think this is where people uh, kind of, th their eyes glaze over a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. because she goes into territory that is, is not, uh, many of us don't, don't really find it very familiar. Um, she begins talking about a kind of intimacy with God, um, a union and communion. Um, and what we know of relationship with God is we need to get busy doing things for God. We got to mm. get praying for other people. We've got to get busy going to church or attending Bible study or no, for her, there is just simply this movement toward a kind of dwelling in intimacy with God. Like, it's, it's just time at that point. And, and those people who've been through this journey will find this familiar. You've worked so hard. It's time to just take a season of rest, of Sabbath. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think of pastors who've been doing it for a long while, and they finally take a season of Sabbath. And it's it's like they just fall into the arms of God, and, 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 and I could stay here for the rest of my life. You know, I'm mm -hmm. so weary. I'm so tired. You never know how exhausted you are until you sort of fall into God's arms like that. And she offers this invitation to a kind of intimacy and union and communion that I think we all deeply long for, mm -hmm. um, but we're not entirely sure what that means or how to get there. Mm -hmm. uh, and and it really does involve this transformational process. It's like as, as things are sort of whittled down and all, you have nothing left, like all you have left is God, you know? Mm -hmm. And so there is this kind of opening up to God um, uh, to be known by God, to be seen by God, to be loved by God, and all the ways that you long to be known and seen and loved. And and ultimately for her, it's from this place that we can um, go back out 
in a sense, to um, live and to serve and to love in ways that are meaningful. It, it's sort of like um, this is not merely an inward journey um, at all. But in fact, as we find ourselves more um, loved by God, as we find ourselves more secure, we then become people who are ambassadors of God's love to others. Um, we want to tell that story. We want to give. We want to live for others, serve others, right? And so I think there's this beautiful sort of inside-out movement that you see in the interior castle where we're ultimately, as we enjoy intimacy, we want to we want to be ambassadors of God's flourishing and wholeness in the world. When, when we talk about this journey towards union, towards deeper intimacy, like you said, it can make us kind of uncomfortable because some of the language is like, uh, you know, like lovers, like, um, yeah. yeah, that that feels, uh, oh, too, I, I don't know. know, squishy for us, right? I mean, even as I was, I, when you asked the question, I was like, how am I going to describe this? Because <laughs> um, she gets into, I mean, some of the language in the last two dwellings, of, if you'd read her sort of original writings, well, it just, yeah, for some people, it gets a little bit weird. Um, mm -hmm. and, and you do have to realize she's writing in the 16th century. She's writing in the, a kind of a mystical and contemplative Christian tradition um, that, by the way, was shared by Catholics and Protestants. There are a lot of Protestants who wrote like this as well. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and there really was this sense that I wish we could recover, that there is a real deep uh, experience of union with God that we can discover on this side of the new heavens and new earth. Mm. Uh, and, and, I, and I do think a lot of us get stuck in getting busy for God um, or being consumers for God or um, sharing the love of God or whatever it is um, and don't find our way to... Um, these seasons of union and communion dwell there, live there for a time. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and these things are as, as much as we, because we tend to be, especially again, in our, uh, um, our tribes, I think that we, you and I have both and many probably listening yeah. come from, we tend to be in our head a lot. We tend to be about yeah. knowledge, information and, and yeah. of course, I want to be close to God, but that I usually that gets relegated to maybe an experience we have listening to or singing music. And and yet so much of I mean, think of Paul's prayer in Ephesians one, that Christ dwelling in your hearts, but he can't even grab language. It's so deep. And so's John. And so's, you know, I mean, Song of Solomon, even though it's it's yes, yeah. it's about you know, human love and erotic love, but there's, yeah. there's clearly something there for us yeah. in God that is, yeah. that kind of freaks us out a little bit, huh? That's right. I um, think so. I think so. And I think, um, I think that a, a, a really good recovery of this could be helpful for us, but I think, um, I, you know, men in particular get freaked out by this because mm -hmm. it feels very touchy feely and very vulnerable, you know, and, um, I, I, uh, maybe I've told you this story, but, um, and I don't even think I could fully tell you the story, um, in this kind of public forum, but yeah. I was taking a class on Christian spirituality years ago with, um, a bunch of reformed Protestant pastors who are kind of pretty, pretty conservative. And I was reading from a Westminster father. I don't know if that means anything to listeners, but the Westminster confession of faith is very important. Protestant reformed confession of faith, like, a Westminster father is kind of the real deal, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, 
he's a he he's a hero of the faith, right? Samuel Rutherford, who in his letters, writing about this intimacy with God and about Jesus loving him and hugging him and kissing him and laying on him, and and it was like, and and so there was a guy who I'm I I can't tell you the full story. I should, <laughs> should I should have realized that before I even jumped into it, but. He said in no uncertain terms, he will not be forced to have that kind of relationship with, with Jesus, you know? Wow. Okay. And I, I thought, wow, this is so deep in the Christian tradition, even in the kind of reformed tradition, you know, where you often find the highly intellectualistic, you know, kind of don't give me all that touchy feely stuff. Well, it's right there. And so to me, that's really heartening and it's an invitation yeah. and it's been really important for me as a man um, find my way to it. Absolutely. In fact, uh, a mutual friend of ours actually shared this invitation with me that helped me because I struggle with that. Like the idea of crawling up on Jesus lap as a grown man, yeah. honestly, is yeah. a hard image. And yet, um, he, a, a, a kind of a way, an end way around that was he said, imagine yourself as a, a nine or 10 year old third grader. Mm. And that picked that image of Jesus, you know, um, with the young children and coming and, and put yourself in that scene as a child and invite and you know, again, I, I think it's, it's not to say the intellectual or the, those, the uh, way of approaching God or understanding God doesn't matter, of course, but it's not one or the other. It's a, yeah. it's both. And um, I want to, um, I want to ask you, Chuck, about Teresa, how was she received in her day? Cause these were pretty, yeah. um, Pretty, pretty amazing things to be putting out there. So she wasn't received particularly well. Um, <laughs> the Catholic Church at that time, they were dealing with uh, reformers, and uh, they weren't particularly happy with them. She wasn't the same kind of reformer as Luther or Calvin or others, but <clears throat> she was certainly uh, she was certainly pushing some buttons. And there were there were men called inquisitors back in the day who would um, find these people and sort of root them out and put them, in the case of John of the Cross, put them in monk jail, like a monastery jail. So yeah. um, she was constantly under the watchful eye of inquisitors. Um, she was a woman of Jewish blood. Of course, she was a Christian, but uh, her grandfather was Jewish. That was, that was um, there was a kind of racism in that day. Um, that if you were a person of Jewish blood, you were mocked, spat upon, um, mm. you know, you, you weren't a, a full member of the community. Uh, she dealt with chronic pain um, that lasted her whole life to, to such an extent. It was it could have been trauma based chronic pain as well, which I find really mm. interesting. But to such an extent that she was uh, for periods of time, even months at a time, she couldn't move and she went into a comas. Wow. Um she was a woman who was living in patriarchal Spain and right. wasn't allowed to read or speak or, um, you know, and so she had all these odds against her. Um, if she would have been married, there would have been church sanctioned abuse. I mean, there are writings from that day that actually sanctioned abuse for spouses that uh, uh, left the house for a period of time or read a book, you know, wow. and so. To think that she was up against these kinds of odds, but she was not a bitter person. And I think this is what's in, informative for our current moment, right, in the midst of narcissism and abuse. I mean, I think there are some, and I would count myself among them, particularly after my early experience within the church where I became embittered. And I was looking for some of the blame for a number of years, you know, and I kind of stayed in that place. Um, 
something about her pain, her suffering transformed her and made her a more generous person. And I, I'm attracted to that. That's what mm -hmm. I find hopeful and beautiful. Um, her writings are not, um, they don't scapegoat. They don't point fingers. She's constantly redirecting to her own lives, to her own humility, to her own growth, to her own transformation. And so she's really remarkable given all the, the odds that she was up against, right? Yeah, no kidding. Well, Chuck, I just want to say personally, as one who's um, you know benefited from this movie and and so been moved by it, I I want to one thank you for it. Thank you for the gift that it is. I want to uh, encourage uh, folks that are listening to this to um, to go to your your website. We'll we'll link to this, but to go to your website to um, to get it, to watch it, and. Um, and and you also recommend if if you want to explore um, or read the yeah. the book for yourself, uh, get a good translation. I think you recommend one by Mirabai Star is a yeah. good translation of uh, the yeah. Interior Castle. There are other books out there a lot that have been written on it, but yeah. but I, this is such it's so accessible, and I think it it is it's also and I I do love this. It's invitational. I yeah. think there is um, as opposed to you know. Uh, push, you know, make something happen, but to, to just receive and respond to God's invitation. So, yeah. so just Chuck, thank you for this gift and, um, yeah. and in, inviting us into this journey uh, with, with Teresa and countless others. Yeah. Well, Hey, Richard, thank you for um, inviting me to talk about something other than narcissism in the church. <laughs> and um, yeah, to talk about something hopeful. Yes, exactly. And, and yet, uh, obviously, both are, are, are such gifts, and um, but thank you. And yeah, yeah. so again, yeah. Chuck, you uh, people can find you online, of course, and yeah. um, and encourage people to get any and all of the things you put out there and uh, and benefit from them. So thank you, Chuck. Thanks, Bam. Thank you for joining us for today's conversation. If you found it helpful, feel free to share this podcast with others and subscribe to it on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you found us, and give us a rating. We'd really appreciate that as well. Again, if we can serve you as part of Wellspring, we are here to serve the church, both its leaders and people in whatever ways we can. So go to wellspringca.org to see what resources we have to offer and how you can be served by them go to our Facebook page. Just search Wellspring on Facebook and you'll see lots of resources there as well. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, grace and peace.